Hey everybody, welcome to Big Things with Zach Miko. On today's episode, I sit down with model and activist Jenny Runk. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the theme song. Hey, and welcome back to Big Things with Zach Miko. As always, I'm your host, Zach Miko, and thank you for being back with us every Monday. Uh, We have a hell of a show for you today. I sit down with model and activist Jenny Runk and a good friend of mine. We're going to have a great talk. Uh, Jenny is just awesome, and you're going to love her, so I can't wait to get to that. Uh, In the meantime, happy spring, everybody. Um, I know I've said that a couple times, but it actually feels like spring today. And tomorrow, it's gonna be May, which I always wanted to do that. So I'm, <laughs> oh, geez, um, that's there, our man in the woods, Justin Timberlake out there. Uh, he doesn't listen to this show, but I like to pretend that he does. We're having a good time. I just moved this weekend, everybody. So my back hurts a lot, but I'm now I'm recording in our new space and it's wonderful and it's awesome. And I can't wait to spend the spring, summer, and all the other days of the year here because it's my new home. Uh, Speaking of fun things to do on the weekend, what's something fun you guys can do this coming weekend? You can go to P.S. Brooklyn. It's a plus-size fashion market. My good friend Liz Black and a former guest of this show, Liz Black, she has a blog called P.S. It's Fashion, and she is doing a plus-size fashion market, P.S. Brooklyn is a plus-size fashion market happening at City Point in downtown Brooklyn on May 5th and 6th. That's two days. It's open both days from 12 to 7. It's free for all to attend, and there's going to be 20 of your favorite plus-size brands, including Rachel Roy, Swimsuits for All, All 67, Chromat, and Universal Standard. Your favorite bloggers will be doing closet sales as well, so that's fun. If you want to buy some closet stuff from people, you can come get expertly curated in some awesome fashion for nice and cheap. And there's going to be activities. There's going to be giveaways. Plus, City Point is just an awesome place in downtown Brooklyn with a fantastic food hall. There's Century 21 there. There's Target. There's the Alamo Draft House. There's so much fun stuff to do. You're going to have a blast. And you should go. Um, the address of City Point is 445 Albee Square. Brooklyn and tell if you run into Liz Black while we're there guys say hi I'm gonna try to make it but I'm also being a homemaker at the time so we'll see but I'm gonna try my best to make it and you guys should too because she's amazing and as I said before on today's episode we are sitting down with the one and only Jenny Runk Jenny's an amazing model and is amazing advocate as well she's an advocate for the LGBTQIA community as well as people with eating disorders Uh, she works with Project Heal She's just an overall amazing person and a stellar model. You guys might know she went uh, viral some years back for the H&M swimwear campaign. She was the first plus model to do their swimwear, and she's a rock star. And it was so fun talking to her, and it's going to be great. A little liner notes for the interview. The studio that we were recording in was a little on the haunted side, Uh, so you might hear some weird old noises and stuff from a friendly ghost uh, Casper is cool, but not as cool as Jenny Runk. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, my interview with Jenny Runk. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with model and advocate and all-around badass, Jenny Runk. What's going on? Hi. Hi. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm so glad you were finally on it. You were actually one of the first guests I ever thought of for this whole thing. And I told you in like a Target like setting. I don't know even what we were auditioning for. It was it was a target casting and I remember I had been following you on Instagram for a really long time and I get like really weird about people I follow on Instagram. I feel like I know them. Uh-huh. So when I saw you in the waiting room with me, I was like, We're friends. 
can I say hi? Should I say hi? And I had this little internal dialogue of like, should I go say hi? I should go say hi. We're technically friends. I mean, we yeah. should be best friends. No, so absolutely. I think I told you, I follow you on Instagram. I wanted to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. I said the same thing. I was like in yeah. a weird like not sure what I'm never sure what to say. The internet is yeah. a very weird place. I feel like I already know people, mm-hmm. even though like halfway through, I'm like, oh, we've never met in person. Yeah. Um, d- recently, I'd done an interview with um, Tess Holiday, and it was that thing. We'd been friends online for like, I don't know, three years. And I was like, oh, we just met. Yeah. That's weird yeah. that that happened. So uh, is, you were born in Georgia. And then you got to Missouri? Am I getting all that right? Yeah, I grew up in Georgia until I was about 10. We lived in a suburb of Atlanta, and then we moved to St. Louis um, right before I started fifth grade. And I lived in St. Louis through high school, and then I went to college in Columbia, Missouri. But I was discovered at 14, so from the time I was 14 until I graduated college, I was living part-time in New York and part-time in Missouri. Okay. I never know how that works with, the, I guess, the development um, aspect of it. So you're discovered, but you're still in high school or less than high school. Cause you were, no, uh, I was in high school. I were? think I was a sophomore at 13, 14. Oh, 14. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes more <laughs> sense. I was like, you smart. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about how you were discovered. Cause you were, um, volunteering at an animal shelter from what I understand. Yeah, I was. So at PetSmart, they have cat rescue organizations that mm-hmm. have, you know, a place for them to put their rescue cats. And, uh, I volunteered at the, at the little cat rescue area and I would come in every week after school and clean the cages and play with the cats and feed them. And I was actually volunteering for, uh, for, what's it called? I can't remember the name of it, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I was, I was volunteering for this cat rescue group during their fundraiser around the holidays. They have a uh, take your pet's picture with Santa to raise Aww, money. So cute. they had a Santa Claus and they had people bring in their pets. And I was cutting the pictures and putting them in plastic ornaments to hand out to people and occasionally helping to hold a dog still when they were like being too spastic to get their picture taken. Mm-hmm. So I would have like my arms in some people's photos, just like holding their dog <laughs> on Santa's lap. <laughs> and Mary and Jeff from Mother Model Management came in to buy dog food and the rest is history. Wow. Now, so you, you just jumped right, you just signed with them. Or what, where's Mother based out of? They are based in Missouri. So okay. They actually discover a lot of the talent that comes out of the Midwest. I know like a lot of the girls at my agency um, came from them. They discovered Ashton Kutcher and Carly Gloss and a bunch of other big names. Awesome. And uh, it was it was something that people had told me a lot. Um, You should model. You should look into modeling. And people would tell my mom all the time, you need to get your daughter into modeling. But we never really took it seriously because it wasn't something that I wanted to pursue. And especially at that age, there's always that like fear of like the shopping mall Barbizon people that come running up to you from their kiosk yeah that's kind of a lot of what it was um we just didn't really know like who to trust in that industry totally so um when we set up a meeting with mary and jeff we went to their house and they told us you know stories of the people that they have discovered and what they do and they weren't asking for any money or anything they just wanted me to come over take some pictures yeah and talk and we kind of realized through that conversation, like, oh, these people are legit. Like, yeah, they know what they're doing. We're in good hands. Yeah, I've noticed with the legit agencies, you quickly feel safe and legit. Uh, advice to any future modelers out there. If it uh, sketches you out, it's probably sketchy. And <laughs> if they ask you for money, it's definitely sketchy. A thousand percent yeah. right away. Yeah. That's the big thing. That's awesome. So were you at that age... Were you for uh, plus size modeling or were they looking at you still for like straight modeling? I was kind of in between at that time. Um, I was very young, so I was I was definitely bigger than all the girls my age. Like mm-hmm. I was I was, you know, five ten, five nine and like a size ten. And I feel like all the all the girls at my school were, you know, normal looking teenagers. They were short and yeah. <laughs> like I, kid, I, I turned, kid sized. I was <laughs> yeah. six four when I was thirteen. Yeah. So I get um, you. <laughs> so they told me you can uh, you can either lose a bunch of weight, go down to a size four and do modeling. Okay. Or you could stay the same. You even have room to gain some weight and you could do plus size modeling. And yeah. I said, I'm gonna do that one. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and, and that was like <laughs> a great decision on your part. 
Um, do they, do they, how at that early stages in development, how focused on weight, like on gaining and losing are they? For me, because I decided to go into plus size modeling, um, there weren't any restrictions or anything because when you look at plus size models, we are every different size above a size. Absolutely. You know, like, so even over the course of my career, I've been doing this, I think 15 or 16 years now, I've been a size 10 up to almost a size 16 back and forth like quite a few times and I've never lost work. My clients might switch up because every client has their preferences as far as the size of model they're booking, but I'm always getting steady work and there's always, you know, something for me to shoot. I think that's, what's great about like the quote unquote extended sizes market. Cause I've done the same, even I've only been modeling for about three years, but even in that case, I've fluctuated just with life you know it's normal it's exactly. like a normal human thing exactly <laughs> that's awesome so as you were a teenager you were more into acting when you first started yeah i was very active in my high school's drama club and nice. i was actually captain of my high school's improvisational theater team oh that's awesome yeah i loved it and i originally wanted to go to college for theater or for acting or something like that but because i was also modeling full time yeah I knew that I wasn't going to be able to make all the rehearsals and performances, you know? No, um, totally. So I ended up getting my degree in creative writing because that's homework that I could take on the road with me. Yeah. But yeah, I, I always, you know, the, the reason I originally got into acting or the, the reason I originally got into modeling was because honestly, when they first approached me and said, do you want to be a model? I said, no, <laughs> I didn't want anything to do with it. I was yeah. like, that sounds really lame. I'm so much more than that. <laughs> But then my mom was like, well, if you're interested in acting, a lot of models end up being actors later in their careers, and this could open a bunch of doors for you. Give it a shot. Let's see what happens. No. And yeah, absolutely. That was my yeah. same my same path. Is yeah. I, I, I moved to the city to become an actor, and I actually thought my first modeling job was just a commercial gig, and I didn't think about it. And then we went on from there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did your uh, high school drama club have a name? No, we didn't. Uh, my, our improvisational theater... Uh, our improv our improvisational theater club had a name we were called running with scissors nice and we had really cool t-shirts with like <laughs> scissors on them <laughs> that's great so when did you actually move your way out to new york was that during college um as soon as i graduated i pretty yeah. much had um every i was ready to go i was so ready to come to new york i think i moved less than a week after i graduated from college i moved here with a couple of suitcases and bought all my furniture on Amazon and nice. like got a bed in a box. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's literally a mattress that shows up to your apartment in a box. That's what it- I'm looking at like right now. I'm in I'm, <laughs> funny enough in the middle of mattress shopping. Yeah. And and it seems kind of cool. I don't know. I'm, I'm very intrigued by it's, the way they work. It it got me through my first few years here. That's good. <laughs> but I, I don't know if I would want to do something like that long term. <laughs> wow. Um, now, that, now that I'm married and living with my partner, we've got ourselves a grown-up mattress, and yeah. it's so nice. Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel like that's the first big purchase that all like couples make yeah because that's when like you really get into each other's like comfort level yeah like me and my wife is the same thing is where she has we had this we now have this fluffy pillow top light thing that i cannot stand sleeping on every night of my life do you take it off of your half of the bed i can't it's sewn on it's like part of it i just (laughs) no i'm just uh just you know a sacrifice you make for your loved ones i guess (laughs) so you started so you're in the city you start, you're, you're keeping on steady work because you kept getting good work. Mm-hmm. What would you say was your first breakout moment? Would it be H&M or do you think it was um, even earlier than that? I think, and I have, um, I spend a lot of time talking to uh, new models because I've always kind of wanted to be a big sister. And this is something that I talk to them a lot about. And yeah. what I always say is that there's never one big break. You know, it's there's like a series of high points and a series of lulls. And so there were, you know, when I first started within my first year, I was in American Vogue, 
uh, Teen Cosmo, Cosmo Teen. Yeah. You remember that one? I remember. Yeah. Is that not existing or am I making that I up? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a thing anymore. But I was in, uh, I was in Seventeen Magazine, uh, Cosmo Girl. That's what it's. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> my very first year of modeling, I was in American Vogue, Cosmo Girl, Seventeen Magazine, like all these editorials within the first year. Yeah. And then I was doing catalogs. And just, you know, kind of under the radar, making my money, doing my catalogs for a couple of years. And then I did a few more editorials and I was in that glamour spread where we had, um, I think it was seven of us plus size models doing like in a nude collective nude Mm -hmm. shot together. Um, And then I was in glamour again in another body positivity story. So there's all these little high points that you have. But in between them, you're spending your time doing your money jobs and doing your catalogs and doing those things. Um, H&M swimwear campaign was definitely, I think, the highest. Yeah. I mean, that was a huge deal. That was the first, I call them the mall stores. I don't know. (laughs) The first like cool kid brands. Yeah. And they were one of the first to to start showcasing uh, people of size and you were helped break that in. Yeah. Or you did break that in rather. There was no helping. You just did it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Was it, how, how was that experience? Like, how did that phone call even start? It was very unexpected is what yeah. it was because I, I, you know, I booked a job. I got my details. I got my time in place and I showed up and uh, they're like, we're doing swimwear. And I was like, great. I love shooting swimwear. And it was just a normal job. So yeah. I did the shoot and then I went home and I didn't think anything about it. You know, I shoot swimwear all the time. And then when it went up on their website, a bunch of people noticed that they had a plus size model shooting their bikinis and they weren't making a big deal of it. Like, our plus size swimwear, you know, yeah. and that was something that nobody had really done before. And so a bunch of media outlets jumped on it and started talking about it and it just blew up yeah, completely unexpectedly. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, it, it's, I think the, one of the keys is the fact that they didn't make a big deal out of it. Yeah. Like the fact that that's when, cause a lot of people had come up with plus size lines and a lot of people, same with in the male category, big and tall. But it's the inclusivity that you don't see. It's just including it in the rest of your yeah. collection as if, yeah, of course we go up to that size. Why wouldn't we? Yeah. And I think that's kind of where everyone needs to end up. I think that's where everyone should be right now is just, yeah. you know, we carry, extended, we carry extended sizes. It's not a big deal. We use plus size models in our campaigns. It's not a big deal. Yeah. No, and I think that's what we're slowly moving up towards, which yeah. is great. And that's the thing I even struggle with still when I will say like plus size or big and tall i use it for the terminology just so people know what the hell i'm talking about because <laughs> yeah. stuff like extended sizes or curve or brawn aren't as mainstream as those other ones despite the problems with the other terms i find but that's awesome did so did you get uh i'm assuming you got a huge press deal out of that where you were doing a ton of interviews after H&M and whatnot? I was very, very busy in the few weeks after that. Oh, doing yeah. Doing all sorts of TV interviews and articles and um, written interviews and um, everything. But No, it's crazy. Yeah. I had the same thing right after um, IMG announced me where I felt like for a month and a half I didn't actually do any work. I just <laughs> just press just did press yeah. and was more tired and more worked than ever. It's exhausting. It is. So it's exhausting, but it's fun and it's good. And you know, one of the things uh, the, the the building across the streets on fire apparently oh. there's nothing we can do. <laughs> I was wondering. Uh, what that was. That, that's just, just for the listeners that know <laughs> that this uh, siren is not going away. So um, so welcome to the real world. <laughs> New York City, everyone. I know. Um, completely forgot what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's totally fine. We're talking about doing uh, doing press afterwards and how you're doing more press. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, one of the things that I've really grown to love about my career is that it grants me a platform to talk about things that I care about. Absolutely. And it sort of allows me to be the role model that I wish that I had when I was a teenager. Yeah. So even... You know, as exhausting as it is going around doing interviews and doing press things and everything like that, it's it's rewarding in a way because I know that I'm putting the kind of content out in the world that I would have needed when I was 13 years old. Yeah. How much different do you think your life would have been if there was that type of role model? Like I say for me, like if I, when I was a kid, John Goodman was named people's sexiest man in the world and it wasn't a joke. It was like legitimate. 
I don't know what that would have done to my self-esteem, but I know I'd be a different person. Yeah, that's kind of how, yeah, that's definitely it. I think that <laughs> you're hearing that too. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's a ghost. This is, a, we're at a haunted <laughs> office apparently. It's totally fine. <laughs> um, These I, are not the weirdest things we've heard during interviews, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if, uh, when I was younger, if I had the kind of role models that uh, we have now, I think um, my road to finding my own, my own self-confidence would have been a lot faster. Yeah. For sure. And I think that's a good point to make is not that you wouldn't have eventually felt confident, but it definitely would have been quicker. I know yeah. it would have for me. And a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> Way easier. So much easier. And you wouldn't have had to not done a press tour to talk about like, yeah, I like myself. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know the weirdest questions you get where they're like, so how did you grow to love yourself? Yeah. And you're just like through the same... I don't know, sad, happy, depressing human experience that we all go through. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. So after H&M, did you feel a big bump in uh, work? Um, Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think that's, like I said before, it's these these high points where you get something that gives you a lot of exposure and everyone's talking about you and you're the it girl for a moment. And then somebody else has their high point and they're the it girl for the moment. But yeah. in the meantime, people are booking you to do their shoots because because of that high point. So yeah. you kind of it, it's you know, that's just kind of the way that this industry goes. You know, you have a moment where everyone's talking about you and looking at you. And then you have a moment where you're just making money and living your life. Yeah. Doing right. <laughs> just do it. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> just. <laughs> As long as you're still making money, that's the scary part. I, this, this, I've found that this uh, business is such feast or famine. It really where you're is. Just kind of like sometimes you're just killing it. It, it is. And people are like, oh, what do you got going on this month? You're like, as of now, not a, not nothing. Yeah. But something will probably come up. But yeah. you, it, I've been going have, through my whole career just knocking on wood. Yeah. Something else shows up eventually. <laughs> I have once in a while just like a week or two where I'm like, I got nothing booked and nothing going on, and yeah. it was like. For the first few days, I'm thrilled to yeah. have some time off and I like I'm sleeping in and I'm, you know, catching up on my on my PlayStation and exactly. whatever I'm playing and like <laughs> I'm going shopping and I'm just like having my me time and I'm so into it. And then once I roll into like week two, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I know, you know, <laughs> I think that's a fear, like especially in, in modeling, acting, yeah. being a musician, the arts in general. I think the scariest part is you're like. The phone could stop ringing tomorrow, and there's not much I could do. (laughs) (laughs) Start calling people and and asking for the phone to ring again. Oh, man. Um, So you were recently a part of uh, the Straight Curve documentary. Mm -hmm. How was that experience? Um, being, Being a part of the Straight Curve documentary changed my life in a really big way. Yeah. Not only just in filming it, uh, which was awesome everybody involved in it was like such a cool person and um you know really good people to be around but then it wasn't really until after i watched the final product that like i was i was changed like i was a changed person after watching it after watching the straight curve documentary i had this moment where i was like i you know have spent my career talking about being a body positivity advocate and doing all these things but there's more that I could be doing yeah. and I need to be better and we all need to be better and I need to set a better example. And it was after watching the straight curve, I made a decision to only shop in plus sizes being a size 14 woman. I can shop in either straight sizes or plus sizes. So that's a choice that I have that a lot of people don't have. And I made a conscious conscious decision to only support brands and only give my money to brands who are size inclusive. And that was a much bigger change than I anticipated. Yeah, that that's a great, that's awesome. And I wish that's something I could do. I mean, I don't know. That was inspiring as shit just now. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I was like, I should be doing that. I don't I know mean, why. Because I can sneak into the smaller companies sometimes. Yeah, I can wear the, their biggest size and just hope for the best. Yeah, if, if I'm lucky enough like there that there's a company that goes up to double XL. I got a 50, 50 chance of putting that on correctly. And it's torturous. Yeah. It makes shopping so not fun when you have to grab the biggest size and just hope. Yeah. I I think that's going to be 
people always ask me, they're like, when do you think we'll be truly inclusive? And I'm like, when I can walk into a mall and walk out with clothing, I think. That's exactly it. Yeah, because... Um, Especially after shopping only in plus sizes, I've noticed how difficult it is for plus size women to buy clothes. Yeah. I cannot walk into a store and walk out with an outfit. Unless, Unless I go to Macy's on 34th Street, Floor 7 has a huge selection of plus size clothing. And that's literally the only place that I go shopping unless I go to like a Torrid or a Lane Bryant store. Yeah. Or there's this wonderful boutique in Brooklyn. It's called Plus B-K-L-Y-N, like the okay. little abbreviation of Brooklyn. And yeah, it's yeah. like this cute little uh, local boutique and all they have is plus size clothes and it's awesome. That's awesome. But as far as in-store options, that's it for me now. Yeah. And, and people think because people like you and me are becoming so much more visible in in the mainstream that it's like oh you guys are doing great and i'm like no it's still the same three clients it's still the same three stores mm-hmm. that i can shop at if i'm lucky mm-hmm. so i think that'll that's changing quickly mm-hmm. especially since like your standard brick and mortar stores are shutting down mm-hmm. and big and tall and plus are opening yeah. new doors every day yeah i mean the the biggest change was i just shifted most of my shopping to online shopping yeah because that's where all the plus size options are you know like your Same best options big and tall, yeah best options are online which is a completely different shopping experience and in some ways it's in some ways it's a lot easier and in some ways it's a lot harder because you can't try things on until you have it. Yeah. So if you're not sure what size you are, you have to like buy a couple of different sizes mm-hmm. and then go through the hassle of sending things back in returns, which most of the time, you know, we're all a little bit lazy sometimes. Sometimes if I only have one thing out of my box that I'm going to return, I end up not doing it. I still you know have a pair mean? of shorts in my closet that yeah. was like, I got on clearance for like 20 bucks yeah. too. And I'm like, oh, I got to return these. I'm yeah. like, no, I guess I'll just leave them although i still get trapped in like the old school my old like diet culture mentality of way of thinking is i'll hold on to clothes that do not fit me with that idea of like oh maybe these will fit me again one day which i think was is poisonous it really is and that's a really hard habit to break um especially for somebody who fluctuates as often as often as i do like i keep my full range of sizes in my closet Um, because I know that like eventually I'm going to fit into my bigger clothes and eventually I'm going to fit into my smaller clothes. But at the same time, I live in New York city and we have limited closet space. Yeah. So if I'm like, you know, sitting at a size 14 for a year and I still have some size tens in my closet, I'm like, I'm going to get these things out of here. Oh, I'm in that, the throes of that. Um, we're moving right now to Mm -hmm. only six blocks away from our current apartment. But, and that's the big thing is in our new apartment, the apartment's bigger, but we have less closets. So now I'm going Mm -hmm. through the the painstaking test of like, all right, Zach, are you ever going to be a large tall again? I don't think you were. I've been holding on to the same <laughs> shirt since I was 16. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, well, speaking of that, you do a lot of advocate work for eating disorders and for like, as far as speaking of the diet culture, since mm-hmm. we segued into that, can you tell me a little about what Project Heal is? Um, Project, Project Heal is this great organization that basically funds recovery for people with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is that when you're going through recovery, it gets really expensive. There's a lot of bills that start piling up. And yeah. for a lot of people, that's a huge roadblock and that's an obstacle. Um, and they just sort of take that obstacle out of the picture. That's awesome. And yeah. you're emceeing their gala coming up? I am, and I'm so excited about it. Um, I've been going to their galas every year for the past three or four years, and they're awesome. Like, they're some of the nicest people. Yeah. Um, you know, being in this industry, you get invited to, you know, events all the time, and they're they're really, really nice. You know, a lot of times at fashion parties, everyone's just kind of, like, looking down their noses at everybody, and oh, you don't get that feeling at all parties. here. Yeah, you I know? know. I have... <laughs> <laughs> I have such a love-hate relationship with with the fashion party yeah. thing because like I know I should be going and I do enjoy it and sometimes it's like really cool. But you just got to find your people. I know. You know. Well, and that's for me is yeah. like I've even with IMG I'm like I will go to any plus event you want so happily and so excited but when I go to more like straight stuff. I'm mm. kind of like, this is okay. I'm yeah. going to stand in the corner with my champagne. Well, yeah. well, a lot of times you end up being like the token plus person there. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Oh, I spend the whole time just following my agent around. (laughs) (laughs) It gets a little awkward. I know. But I mean, they are getting better. They're getting much better about being inclusive. But it is still (laughs) kind of like the weird like. Like little kid, like I don't know. Thanks for inviting me to the cool kid party. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I won't get in the way. I promise. <laughs> Which is hard to do as a plus size person. <laughs> I know. Oh my god, I'm always in the way, and I get like this weird, like panicky thing that I'm just <laughs> in everybody's way at all times, and I'm supposed to be there to like enjoy the party, and I'm just like <laughs> bumping into people and apologizing, <laughs> knocking things over with my butt. Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, what we go through. <laughs> and, the, and and have you never, never, why at fashion shows are the seats so small? Can we also I say don't that? understand. <laughs> I went to a fashion show once and they had the seat numbers on the benches printed on like sheets of paper, like yeah. white sheets of paper, printer paper with your seat number. And they were on the bench, literally like touching each other as if like your butt had to be the width of a piece of printer paper yes. to fit in that spot. I actually, I saw you in a show where it was that exact same thing yeah. where I went to, not this past fashion week, but like one other before mm. that. And it was, that's the thing. I'm like, this is a plus event and <laughs> you're having these, these eight and a half by yeah. 11 seats. Well, <laughs> what's interesting is that was the year that I think both Lane Bryant and Torrid had an official New York, yeah. New York fashion week fashion show for like the first time officially and in the awesome. same building and everything. But at the same time, they gave us the smallest room. Yeah. And so many people wanted to be there. Oh, yeah. That we they had to pack them in. Yeah, you yeah. You know, like it, there were so many people who were so excited to be there and wanted to be there and were in the smallest room. Which, those, are, those were two of the best fashion shows yeah. I'd ever been to. Because so that, the energy was so much higher and so much more excited. Everybody was like <laughs> just on, you know, on cloud nine. They yeah. Were just, it was the we made it feeling, yeah. I think. Yeah. And like that, finally. I know. I know. We're not doing our own like independent thing on the side. Like yeah. we're in New York Fashion Week. Yeah. Waiting for so that. Good. Guys will get there. We're doing <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was just very excited because they ASUS this last men's fashion week had a uh, plus model. Uh, his name is Trey Campbell and he's awesome. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a plus guy at any fashion week event. So I was that's awesome. Psyched. We're, we're sneaking in. We're sneaking in little by little. So going through this, you've also been a big advocate uh, in the LGBTQ uh, community. You, you told a story once in the Straight Curve documentary about trying to come out in Missouri as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Coming out as a teenager in the Midwest is, I would not wish it upon my worst enemy. Yeah. Honestly. It was... <laughs> It was hard. It was really hard. And thankfully, I had a supportive family and I had supportive friends. So I came out of it like, you know, reasonably unscathed. That's good. Um, There were definitely still some times where I, you know, it's just this coming out is just like whenever you get like a group of gay people together and Mm -hmm. we're just like talking about our gay experience, it's something that always comes up because it's something that we all have. We all have our shared experience. experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, in a, you know, in a lot of ways, I was lucky. I came out to a friend of mine first and like a couple of my friends and then sort of my sister and then my parents. And I was terrified of telling my parents because you hear all these horror stories of kids coming out to their parents and getting kicked out and disowned. Yeah. And that was Jeez. what I had heard over and over and over again. So I've got this like real and tremendous fear of losing my family in my home. And then I came out to them and they were like, Whatever, we still love you. Oh, thank <laughs> I was God. like, oh, thank God. But I was crying the whole like as soon as as soon as I as soon as I started the conversation, I was just crying. Yeah. Because I was so scared. Yeah, I mean, and that's amazing. As a uh, straight person, I can't imagine that feeling of trying to reveal who you truly are, mm-hmm. as if you. Because, I mean, growing up in the Midwest, they weren't, it's not the most tolerant area (laughs) in the world. My wife's from Georgia, so I I know, I've seen it, and it was hard for me to believe. Because, you know, I grew up in New England, who has always been more liberal. But even back then, you could totally come out, no one had any problems, but it was still a, there was still like a separation between people. Um, Do you think that separation is starting to go away? Thank God. I think, I mean, I think that as far as like 
being gay in in today's society i think it's a lot in a lot of ways better than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 Mm -hmm. years ago um you know we've come very far in terms of acceptance and tolerance and inclusivity and things like that but there's also a lot of issues like there are states where it's completely legal for anyone to refuse service to you based on your sexual orientation yeah. and that includes even places like medical centers and hospitals and things like that like really there are places in this country where it would be totally legal for a nurse to say i'm not treating this person because she has a wife you know like and you know getting marriage equality Jesus, i had no idea about yeah. that I, I i mean i'd heard everyone's heard the bakery stories and yeah. stuff like that I had no idea that they could even, like, refuse medical treatment. Yeah, there's, or even, like, you know, refusing to let your partner visit you if you are, if, God forbid, something happens to you and you're in a hospital, there are places in this country where legally they can say, like, we're not going to allow your partner to come visit you or make decisions on your behalf or things like that. Like, there's, there's a lot of, like, gray areas where there is room legally for people to really mess up our lives. Yeah. You know, thankfully, I live in New York City where, you know, we're such a liberal city. We've got like this great little safety bubble. Yeah. So we feel we feel really safe here. But uh, there's also countries where same sex couples can't adopt kids. There's, you know, there's just there's a a lot of like little things like that that people don't really realize. Like, Yeah. yeah, we got marriage equality and that's great. But at the same time, in some states, you can get fired from your job for having a same sex partner. Yeah. No, it, it's there's still so much farther to go. Mm-hmm. I was in the Boy Scouts for years and for a long time. As a former Boy Scout, we were campaigning to allow gay scouts in because even that was not okay. At the time that gay scouts weren't allowed in, girls were allowed in Boy Scouts. There was a section of the Boy Scouts called Adventure Scouts that girls were allowed to join, but you still could not join if you were a gay um, if you were a gay boy. Thankfully, that's been repealed, and we're going forward. And then we had to go on to the next fight to allow there to be gay scoutmasters, gay leaders. Mm-hmm. It's marriage equality wasn't a fix all. No, it was it was a huge win. Yeah. But it's it's not the only victory we need. No. No. You, know? you need way more. Yeah. And I and, and thankfully we got people like you out there helping push that forward. Yeah. And I think most importantly for for people who are in the public eye, yeah. um for people who have public careers and public personas like Come out of the closet and be loud about it. Yeah. Like, make a big deal about it. Talk about it every chance you get. Every single interview that I give, I find some way to sneak in the fact that I'm gay. Yeah. Because people are reading these interviews. People are listening to these interviews. And there's kids like me who don't think that there are any LGBTQ role models out there. But yeah. we are. It's just, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's not really visible unless you say something about it. So say something about it. That's a great, that's great advice. And not just for that, just for everything. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of, especially in our youth, depression in the LGBT, uh, LGBTQ culture, but also in the body positive culture and everything, just people feeling less than people feeling unaccepted. I know I've done the same thing that since I've found some sort of limelight, I've done my best to try to be as transparent as possible and just let people know that it's like, it's totally okay. And I don't know if it's going to help anyone, but you saying just now talking about your own experiences of coming out is going to, someone's going to hear this and Mm -hmm. someone's going to, that was maybe scared or maybe didn't want to do it and just went, wow, Jenny Runk, this huge successful model did it. I can totally do this Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things I struggled with when I came out was like, I didn't really know what that meant for me as far as my identity. Like I didn't know anything about, lesbian culture or history Mm -hmm. um i had never organically learned anything about it through school or through media or through tv or through movies like we are we were at that time pretty invisible as far as as far as like mainstream media went um so most of what i knew about how to be a lesbian was based on stereotypes and i was like oh I need to be super masculine and I need to wear men's clothes and boots and all these things. And I, I went through, I went through like a baby butch phase. Hey, yeah. and <laughs> it was, you know, it took me probably, it took me a while to learn that like, this isn't, this isn't me. Yeah. This isn't me. This isn't who I am. Like I'm, I'm very much a girly girl. Um, 
So then I went the opposite way and I was like super, super, super dirt. And I went the opposite <laughs> way and I was like super duper girly, like crazy girly. Wouldn't go anywhere without a full face of makeup on. Was like obsessed with, you know, having the right outfit and everything being perfect and girly and all these things. And then I was like, this is too much. This isn't me either. And yeah. it kind of, it took me a while to like bounce from one end of the spectrum to another before I realized that I can just be me yeah. and be gay. Yeah. Like it shouldn't take, it shouldn't take years to figure that out, but it did. It, it, it's the same uh, <laughs> advice that like all of our parents gave us growing up where it's like, just be yourself, just go out there. It's the simplest lesson and it's yeah. the hardest one to learn. It is. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> it's just, Your own truth bomb there. <laughs> I know. Boom. Just life and sound bites. Um, <laughs> so um, you actually talk about your own experience uh, being gay in a play called The Sex Myth mm-hmm. that you just were in. Can you tell us a little about how that came to be? Um, that was one of the best experiences yeah. um, of my life here in New York. Uh I was at like a feminist happy hour, I think, that one of my friends invited me to. That sounds fun. I I love these things. Yeah. I love love feminist get-togethers. And Rachel Hills, the author of the book, was there. And what I didn't realize um, until I was there, because I I just heard feminist happy hour and I showed up, you know. I didn't even know what it was. But it was actually a fundraiser launch for the production of the play based on this book. Yeah. So from learning about the book there and hearing about it there, I was like, this is really interesting. So I bought the book, joined the mailing list. And then Rachel reached out to me and said, "Um, would you be interested in being a part of this? And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, absolutely I love this and that's kind of how it got started I went and went through the audition process and went through the process of writing we wrote the play ourselves as a cast based on our own personal experiences and it was such a diverse cast in terms of race ethnicity sexual orientation and gender yeah that we got like a really good idea of how very different people experience relationships and societal pressures on what they should and shouldn't be and what that means for people. I learned a lot and I loved it. And I think everybody that went and saw it learned a lot and left feeling better about themselves and feeling a little bit more normal, which is awesome. So you all actually wrote the monologues that you were performing. Yeah. How was that? I don't know if you're allowed to talk about, I don't know how plays work. Are you allowed (laughs) to talk about um, the story you told? Um, Yeah, I think my my monologue in The Sex Myth was kind of my story of realizing I was gay and then learning what that meant for me and yeah. how to identify. And like I said, just like bouncing from one end of the spectrum to the other on how to present myself because I just didn't know what that meant. Now, as a creative writing major, mm-hmm. um, was it had you written any drama before or is it like was that it was it a new experience um, writing for the stage? It was kind of like, it wasn't like we were writing a script, like we were writing our story and then adapting it for the stage, Yeah, you know? So it was just like any sort of autobiographical writing that I've done. And uh, actually Elle has my monologue um, on their website. If Great. anyone's interested in reading it. Yeah, everyone head over to L and find that. Um, through being yourself, um, you kind of discovered that, at least I discovered through uh, your Instagram and other fun stuff, that you're a little bit of a nerd in a good way, in a complimentary nerd way. I'm such a nerd. Oh, my God. Beyond. Uh, <laughs> so you're a Hufflepuff. I am. So am I. Did you know that? Awesome. I don't know. I feel like that's become a real thing. Oh, you are too? That's so great. I mean, I really feel like (laughs) Harry Potter is like permeated into our society so much. We're like, yeah. And I can talk to any adult with uh, a sense of humor or whimsy and ask which house they're in. And they'll just, they're like, oh yeah, no, I took this. I have my Pottermore account up. Don't worry. It's the first thing I like to ask people when I meet them. What Hogwarts house are you? Because you learn so much about them by what they say. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, I had a friend that just recently took like the Pottermore quiz and got Hufflepuff and he was all disappointed. And I was just like, no. Hufflepuffs are awesome. They're the best. They're the kindest. They're the most loyal and true. And I like kind of talked him up. And then all of a sudden, the next thing I know, he comes in with this like yellow and black scarf and he's all (laughs) excited. (laughs) We're underrated, but we're awesome. Exactly. 
Um, I love that. Do you find um, that even as a young person, you gravitated more towards like the fantasy genre? Um, definitely. Uh, definitely. I've always been like a huge nerd for fantasy novels and sci-fi and things like that. Um, and I think a lot of it started with Harry Potter. You yeah. know, the first book came out, I think, when I was like nine. And yeah. I was one of those kids that read every book as soon as they came out. Um, and then I would reread it over and over and over again until the next book came out because I just couldn't get enough. Yeah. And through that, I got really into reading. Uh, I got really into Stephen King and I got really into uh, Michael Crichton, sci-fi, things like that. And was also always uh, a huge nerd for gaming. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you and I bonded about that. Yeah. At, we, the first time we met each other, we started talking about video games within like, I don't know, 30 to 40 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Uh, anything good you're playing right now? Um, I'm playing Destiny 2. Okay. Um, I didn't play either of them. They're good. They're really good games. Yeah. They are. They're the kind of game that you can sit down and start playing and, you know, nine or 10 hours will go by and you haven't moved and you don't even realize it. Yeah. Like really good sucks you in type of game. Oh, I love those. I, I mean, I'm a gamer too, but I've always been and I'll play, you know, like the Call of Duties and the Battlefields and they're fun and they're just good zone out times when it actually comes to playing video games. I always lean very fantasy sci-fi base, whether it be, I think you and I talked about The Witcher 3. So good. <laughs> we both, so we were good. both playing it at the same time. <laughs> That's all we talked about the whole time. Because it consumes you. Yes. It does. <laughs> I think that's the whole amazing thing about the fantasy genre is you have people um, who, I know for me personally, it's like I felt like an outcast for whatever reason my whole life. And fantasy and sci-fi gave me like another world to escape to and imagine that I was part of that and what I would be which is why games like The Witcher or like even Assassin's Creed or Shadows of Mordor just make you like non-stop in this world that's, ex that's exactly right I just finished playing Shadow of Mordor like a few weeks ago Really I just on did, it, but it's good. This is it's really weird. I just finished playing the Shadow of Mordor. Like <laughs> I bought it a long time ago and then thought it was too hard, so I didn't play it for a long time. Same. And then I like played through all my other video games and was done. And I was like, all right, before I buy a new one, let me this one game of the year, let me just play it. That's like, that's kind of how I ended up with it too, because I, I finished um I forget even which one I was playing. Oh, I finished uh, Horizon Zero Dawn and then finished the downloadable downloadable content. And then the same, I was like, before I buy another game, let me check my closet. I know I have something in here that hasn't even been yeah. unwrapped yet. Oh, yeah. And there it was. Oh. And I played it, and it was awesome. It was so good. It was so hard. <laughs> but was. it was. It so was. Good. It was so good. Uh, does your wife ever complain about your video gaming, or is she also a gamer? No, she's not a gamer. She's really into documentaries. Yeah. Um, she's a very normal and smart person <laughs> and she watches <laughs> documentaries and like real life things um so normally like a lot of true crime stuff yeah That's she loves that stuff wife. she my loves that freaks. stuff my wife will find out any murder documentary she finds she'll pull up someone related to its facebook within like five seconds and just like tell me all about it she's like well i don't know what happened to him but his mother is not doing so well with all the, the press they would get along great yeah i think they would <laughs> i think there's a double date yeah. in our future yeah. where you were like to talk about <laughs> yeah fantasy video games and they we can, can play we can play mario kart and they can watch a documentary exactly <laughs> exactly oh jenny this has been an absolute pleasure uh before we go i always ask all of my guests there's a lot of my listeners. The reason I started this podcast was because I wanted to talk to people who inspired me, who make me want to do better because I just think they're amazing. And people who had been through a journey that I could relate to in any way, shape or form. That being said, a lot of my listeners listen to it for the exact same reason. And a lot of my listeners are down on themselves, feeling like they can't accomplish what they want to accomplish in life because of X, Y and Z. What would you get? What kind of advice would you give to somebody who just feels like their dreams are completely out of their reach because of their own hangups, their own insecurities about themselves? Um, don't be don't be your own worst enemy. Yeah. Be your best cheerleader. You know, like the whole world, the whole the whole world is out here telling you what you can't do yeah. and telling you what you can't be. 
don't let that come from you you know like that's that's not your job your job is to be your cheerleader your job is to listen to yourself and know yourself and know what you're capable of and set your own goals and work towards reaching them and screw what anyone else thinks or says yeah literally like don't listen to anyone who tells you you can't do something because they're wrong they absolutely they don't know you and I think that that's perfect. And I think that's the most important is they have no idea who you are. Yeah. Why do you think it is that we set ourselves so much up to other people's expectations rather than our own? I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's human nature, but it's one of the, it's one of the worst things you can do for yourself is to worry about other people's expectations. Um, yeah. You know, it has to come from you, set your own and then meet them. And, you know, you'll impress not only yourself, but everyone around you. Exactly. That's perfect. Jenny, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, if ever, Everyone, please follow Jenny Runk on all of the social medias, at Jenny Runk, the Twitters, the Instagrams, the, the, all the fun stuff. I don't know if your Facebook's public, but, <laughs> but Twitter and Instagram, definitely. <laughs> and Facebook. And Facebook, yay. <laughs> Mine's not public, so that's why I'm never <laughs> sure what to say. Um, but this has been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you so much. This has been great. Yay. Anything fun we want to plug besides the upcoming Project Heal Gala? Uh, Which I don't know if that's even public. Not that I can think of. Cool. We already said goodbye, so I'm cutting off this last part. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. And that was just wonderful, everybody. Know yourself, love yourself, be your own cheerleader. Jenny Runk, thank you for being on. Everybody, please go follow Jenny on all of the social medias, at Jenny Runk, J-E-N-N-I-E-R-U-N-K. She's always posting. She's amazing. And we can't wait to talk to her again in the future. Guys, thank you for listening every week. I love you. This show is very special to me, and you are all very special to me. Please follow us on social media if you haven't, at Zach Miko, Z-A-C-H-M-I-K-O, on Facebook, at facebook.com slash bigthingspod, at our website, bigthingspod.com, email us at Zach at bigthingspod.com, and Josh at bigthingspod.com. Thank you guys so much. If you haven't rated and subscribed, please do it. It helps us out a lot. And until next week... You guys know the catchphrase by now. Remember to go out in the world and do big things. Uh.